Welcome back to another episode of the Resellers Mindset Podcast. My name is Mike, also known as the Used Book Guy on YouTube, along with my friend and fellow full-time reseller, Johnny B. We help people start and grow their reselling businesses from the ground up. We also have a weekly Zoom call and private Discord for all YouTube members. Head on over to youtube.com backslash usedbookguy to join the channel and gain access to the full-length podcast, Zoom call, and private Discord today. Let's get into this week's episode. What is up, everybody? Welcome to episode 43, Resellers Mindset Podcast. Mike alongside JB here every Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern on all podcast platforms and over on the YouTube if you want to look at our ugly mugs. Today's another one of our more favorite uh, kind of podcast episodes to do is where, you know, I put out a post on YouTube and Facebook and we respond to every single question you drop down beneath on those posts. We do these probably out once every two months. So it's something we we look forward to answering all your crazy questions. So without further ado, we are going to cover the YouTuber ones first here. So I'm just going to go down the list here. And uh, first one is question for JB. This is from Miss Lachey Resells. She's also a reselling YouTuber. She sells all kinds of stuff. Uh, she's real big into selling uh basically book lot. So check her out over on YouTube. Question for Johnny B. Top two to three changes you've made in your eBay business that have increased sales or improved your bottom line since starting. Sure. Do coupons uh, and the daily newsletter. Uh, both coupons and newsletter are daily. And three, I now charge for stamps uh, or a mailing label as I like to be corrected by everybody at eBay because they're not called stamps there. So yeah, uh, sending out daily coupons, sending out a daily newsletter, and now I charge for shipping labels instead of free shipping. Those probably be the top three biggest changes I've made for myself in business this year. Do you need a store to send out coupons, like an eBay store? I think you do on that, yes. Well, even though the starter store is pretty cheap. Uh, I'm going to get my two cents, even though she's like, Mike, I know you don't sell on eBay like once, once but a year, but hey. Uh, best two things I have made is uh, I promote listings a lot more heavily than I used to. Like I used to be the cheap guy, like the minimum 1%. Now it's 2%. Like now basically across the board, it's 10% for me. And uh, the way to, with the way I increase my eBay sales is whenever I list something, it just seems like something sells, right? So <laughs> if I list something, something sells. It's weird how that works. So that's kind of my two cents on how I increase my dead ebay store sales from time to time yeah all, right, all those are good moving right along here all right she only limited me to three i could have gone on but there's just three <laughs> yeah uh just, just uh I, I do think like the way you kind of built the store though is like we could have a whole episode around how you build the store but then again it's like your secret sauce you know it's like the way you build your ebay store and how you want returning customers but a lot of it's what you sell you sell a lot of the same thing so i could keep coming back you know, you can be like my jerky guy, but you're just my crappy trade paperback guy instead of being my jerky guy. Yeah, I mean, in the in the course that we're running once a month here, uh, I'll go over a lot of quote unquote secrets. Not every little secret, because I do need some sauce secrets to myself. Sure. But uh, most things that we can go over that you may or may not know that isn't easily searchable. All right. Next up, we have Cisneros. Uh, been a long time YouTube uh, supporter of mine. How do you feel about the recent renewed program? It has largely pushed me as a small time seller out of the video game category. I can't invest 50K on inventory like that. So from my understandings, I'm not huge into selling video games on Amazon. I wish like I could just be like, hey, I'm going to phone a friend and like call Jack up right now. I'm like, yo, Jack, what are you doing? I got a question for you. Um, 
but I do think like the the whole idea of the program where they you know are going to professionally inspect and test it doesn't eBay have something similar to that like for like their sports cars like the or like fancy like pocketbooks and things like things have to be verified sneakers and whatnot. Yeah, you have to have verification. Uh, there's a program for that, but for both cards and sneakers, I don't think it goes anywhere else besides those two because they're pushing cards heavy for a while, and they're still pushing sneakers pretty heavy. Um, let's see, verification. I do think though, like overall, like you, you kind of answered your own question with this. Is like it pushes more small people out, so they only have to deal with serious players, and unfortunately, like that's just the reality of it, right? If I think about this, like. Could I deal with five people that are huge sellers or should I deal with a thousand small sellers who really don't, I'm not saying you're one of these people that don't understand the platform or anything like that, but uh, just think about how many people have an Amazon or eBay business and have no idea what they're doing, have no idea if the item's real or fake. So unfortunately, um, I can actually see this expanded into other categories as well, just because they want the customers to to get actual real items at the lowest price they don't care about third-party sellers whether that's me or johnny whether it's ebay or amazon so if they can decrease their headaches and deal with less of them and and also like basically put a guarantee to a customer that this item is actually authentic then listen it's going to be widespread here i guarantee it's going to jump over from more categories than just the video games just the cards and just the sneakers because those are kind of like the hot things right now so it's like when the next hot crazy craze comes along, you know, like vintage tees or something, like all of a sudden you got to get an inspected to sell a vintage t-shirt. On Amazon, you know, what could that be? It could be DVDs, it could be CDs, any any kind of form of media that's often like counterfeited. I can see them putting this in place. And unfortunately, us small guys are just, you know, we got to bite the bullet and kind of look the other way. But you should always have a plan B anyway. Anything else to add over there? Yeah, I just looked it up. I mean, there's the Verified Rights Owner Program, Vero, but we all know that as a bad thing. Uh, but that's basically when they take your IP away. But the um, what it's called is eBay or Authenticity Guaranteed Seller. You can pull that up pretty easily, but it's for sneakers, watches, jewelry, handbags, and trading cards. So those five things. All right, we are chugging along here. The next one, another JB question here from, I mean, this is a terrible username. I like hate. I mean, come on, what kind of username is that? Let's get a little bit more uplifting, you know, positivity. Like, I like butterflies. I like rainbows, pot of golds, things like that, you know? Like, I mean, come on. I'm glad this is a JB question. Does JB use eBay's Terror Peak research tool for his listing? If so, how does that influence his inventory, old and new? I don't use it like that for a per item basis. I use that to examine the market as a whole. I like to see what paperbacks are doing, hardbacks are doing, leathers are doing, or maybe a certain publisher like Eastern Press or Folio, just in case I come across something or a lot of somethings that are a little more obscure. Um, I could use it for that as a for instance, just to get a baseline price because the market fluctuates here and there, and it's like two years of data, so... What did well last year may not be doing well this year, or what did terrible last year may be doing fantastic this year. Um, and again, I go I go more broad with it than granular, uh, just to just to get a bigger whole picture of market itself. Now you can 
you could look at just auctions. You can look at just buy it nows. You can look at items just ten to twenty dollars. So you can make it granular within that broad scope, which I do. But as far as on a per item basis, very rarely. I don't. It it's be so many extra steps in the process. To I don't think it's worth the time in, in that aspect. Now, if you're just getting into it and you don't know diddly. Sure, I could see you using that for a little while, but after a bit of time, you're starting to get an idea Rolodex-wise. Oh, I have a Chrome across thing similar to these. I don't really need to look it up on Mr. Terrapeak anymore. How many times do you think I've used Terrapeak? None. <laughs> you would be correct. Ding, 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 zero times. <laughs> uh, I mean, maybe if I was more heavy into you know, selling on eBay and a specific category and I had lots of inventory, uh, would make sense. But just for, you know, what I do on eBay, I can just go off the sold comps that I see in my phone when I'm listing something or doing research. But Terrapeak is a great tool. A lot of people use it and there's a lot of fancy ways that you can use it to kind of see, you know, where are the people on the platform searching for these items, what dollar amount, things like that. So it is a great tool to use. And I mean, it's, you should use it. If you're full-time eBay, you should know what Terrapeak is and understand and go in maybe once a month and see see what's going on with the shoppers on the platform and the category you're selling in. Right. Like I know for a fact, Nora Roberts does really well in the summer pros to winter. See? Just... All right. Next up. How much money would it take for JB to shave his head and face bald? That's a good question. 10 grand? I do it for 10K, sure. 10 grand out the door. That comment was submitted by none other than the wife, Deborah. So uh, she was curious and she said, make sure you tell him he can't say no amount in the world. Well, 10K, he's actually a lot. He's really not committed to the I'll be waiting for hair. my check there, Deb. Yeah. What? You say, oh, I would never do that for any amount of money every time I ask. I know, because I just got to act tough, right? I got to be the tough guy. I'm not taking money for doing nothing. But uh, uh, I'll reverse the question. How much for you to grow your stuff out there, Mike? How much for me to have the head of hair and beard you have? <laughs> oh, man, dude, I I hate having to. Can you I don't care that? if you like it or hate it. How much is it going to cost the general public yeah. here? gonna take me like months to do like that's a lot of torture versus <laughs> you you're just shaving it off like mine i gotta grow it out it i'd probably say 50k 50k all right we know his price now let's start the gofundme no no don't make me do that please no like um once my hair gets 50K. like a i don't care dude anything over a centimeter long hair i'm like i'm going nuts it's just what about nice. 100k would you do it for 100 yeah 100 for 100k i would even like use like hair growth stuff so i could grow it like within two weeks get just... some plug it now i'll shave mine off mail it to you you just glue it on <laughs> i would just grow this thing out a month <laughs> i have a mullet i tell Deb if i ever grow my hair i'm gonna have a mullet she's like no no you won't I'm like well, you don't have a choice <laughs> all right moving on what is the best way to handle stale amazon fba inventory lower price and sell to loss liquidate at six months old or have it returned to you. Uh, all right, I'm, I'm going to jump in here. So personally for me, I liquidate everything. So there's a huge difference in cost when it comes to having something sent back to you or destroyed or disposed of versus having it liquidated. So liquidations usually cost you right around a quarter a piece because they sell your item and then Amazon takes a fee, right? So if you liquidate something, you know, you liquidate this book, we'll say this is a book, and it, they sell it for 
75 cents. Well, the, li the liquidation fee is 40 cents. You actually make 35 cents on that item and it's out of your inventory versus now say you're like, well, I want to have it sent back to me so I can look at it and maybe read it and then throw it out anyway. Well, that's going to cost you probably at least $2 to have that book sent back to you. So the only way this makes sense is to liquidate after six months. Amazon actually has automated settings now where you could have it once something hits that six month plus mark, they automatically liquidate it for you. Uh, personally, I think this is the only way that's feasible to have a larger scale media business on Amazon is that everything needs to get liquidated because the fees add up quick and they're not going to tell you when you go to put in that request removal, like, hey, this is going to cost you $500. Each 200 books you're going to have removed and sent back to you. That's just going to hit your bottom line. And then all of a sudden, your Amazon balance is negative $500 because they don't really tell you up front. They kind of make it kind of wishy-washy on what to do. You can also go the route of selling it at a loss. But personally, I think it's cheaper to just liquidate it down the end of the line. Even if you don't, even if you get a nickel back for it or something like that, you know, at least, at least you only lose 30 cents versus two plus dollars. So it is confusing. And Amazon's kind of shady with how they hide the numbers, right? Because wouldn't it make so much more sense if you, when you went to do it, it would say this is going to cost you X amount of dollars? It would be a fantastic thing for them to show us, yes. And this changes. Like, if you would ask this question last year, I probably would have said you could do either or, but they have since changed the fees. So if you ask this question again next year, things could be completely different. So this is one of those things that's always changing within Amazon. Whenever they move the fees around to get an extra dollar out of people, because a lot of us don't sell used media, right? A lot of people on Amazon sell new products so that you're kind of stuck having it sent back to you because it's a new item. It still might be worth something. So they're basically just dipping into everybody's pocket with this. But liquidate, have it set up in Amazon to automatically do it. You're not worried about it. And if worse comes to worse and you got to liquidate a thousand books, no, it's only going to cost you 150, 200 bucks versus, you know, basically $3,000. And that's just the reality of it. So any any input on that? Yeah, I mean, I might take a look at the books that are priced $50 or plus on Amazon to contemplate a return. And on the that short list of items, I'd look at, I don't know, eBay and see if I can get something similar to that. Maybe it's worth more on eBay. You just didn't bother to look for it. I'm not saying look at all books on both platforms, make a call for each and every book. I'm just saying when it comes to liquidation, maybe you look at the $50 plus books. What are they worth on eBay? There may be a couple you want to have returned to you, sling them up on eBay or another marketplace and get some more money than you would out of liquidation. But again, you got to factor in your time in this. How much time, how much are you worth per the amount of time you're putting in, th these kind of things. So maybe you just like, no, nah, I'm worth $300 an hour. It ain't worth my time. Liquidate. Done. All right. Now we are going to switch over to Facebook. We got some questions over here as well. So the first one is from Robin Beach. If the book shows as a good buy, but is not in great condition, should I still pick it up? I'll let you go first on the eBay front with this. If it's condition doesn't matter so much on eBay, um, I would buy an unacceptable book. If it's worth $100 and there's only four of them, maybe yours is $75. And yeah, it's in ratty shape, but hey, you're the low man. People may just want a reading copy, not a collectible copy, just because it's that rare or scarce. Now, if it's a run of the meal, I don't know. $15 book on good. I mean, you're maybe looking at $15 if you do a quality listing to match it up versus a crappy newer book, same caliber or better caliber. You gotta, again, this comes down to how much is your time worth? 
I wouldn't definitely try to repair it at all. I would sell it at, I would sell these things as is just make your condition notes what they need to be. I got to decide what's your pricing point, honestly, on what's your minimum to eject in eBay. Is, is the book going to take any more of your time? Yes. No. How much more time? How much is said book worth at the end of that time factor? Those are my opinions. Makes sense. So for Amazon here, uh, conditioning is like, I know, I know I drive people nuts the way I condition stuff, but I know 100% that it's the right way. So it can drive as many people nuts as it wants. But for me, all my books, CDs, DVDs, they're all good condition, whether it's brand spanking new or whether it looks like it's kind of been beat up. So for me, my, my threshold for conditioning uh, the only things I'm really not going to touch, writing doesn't matter, stamps on the side don't matter, library, you know, stamps don't matter. Uh, none of that stuff matters. You just want to make sure that the dust jacket is there. I don't sell any books on Amazon without the dust jacket. And then there's no water damage. Um, that's one thing that's like once once you get water damage, it's out the, it's out the cart for me. I'm not buying it. I'm not going to sell it. Those are kind of the only two things that I worry about. And uh, it's funny, somebody posted in the the Facebook group that I'm pulling this from and uh, they had a set of kids books. Well, the kid wrote inside, you know, like, Hey, you know, their names and everything. And, you know, all their friends names. And the person was wondering, Hey, can I sell this set? You know, it's, it's really valuable. And like, it didn't even come to my mind twice. Like, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to sell that set, put it in the condition, no good condition book. So many books have writings and like writing all over them. Uh, dog-eared pages, I don't worry about that. Highlighting, I really don't worry about that unless it's the whole book. Same with underlining, right? Because I have that built right into every single one of my condition notes, whether there's writing or underlying or not. And every condition note says may contain some highlighting, some writing scattered throughout the book. So I don't think condition is as big of a deal as people make it out to seem. Like, what's your take? Because I know like, you're the eBay guy here, but what's your take on like condition and on Amazon? Do you think a lot of people get you know, just caught up with conditioning. I do. I think it's a waste of time on Amazon. I don't think it's a waste of time on eBay because um, it limits returns. When you get dinged for a return of Amazon, so what? So what? You can, you can literally request the feedback to go away. It's a yeah. button click. I've done it before. And it was like that, gone. Amazon's like, keep on selling. Send us some more books. I'm not saying... I wouldn't go the other way. I wouldn't lie either. I wouldn't. I wouldn't make an acceptable book like new. If it, it you gotta pay attention to that too, because there's a lot of people who want to grade up on a book, which shouldn't really be graded up. To be fair, now as far as the time original question of time factory putting in, just put it in your base condition notes. Unless it's something truly outlandish, then maybe go the extra mile. But that book better be worth fifty hundred dollars for you to go the extra mile. I think the big thing is that. My conditioning is completely different than anybody else's, right? There's no two people that are basically, if we're really going to sit down and nitpick a book on like conditions, like you're going to have a different condition in mind than I'm going to have. And the customer is going to have a different one in mind than you're going to have. So like always, what is it? Uh, I forget the saying, it gets me every time. Under promise over deliver. Is that it? Yes. There you go. That's, that's what you want to do. That's why everything goes good. Uh, don't get caught up too much in that. So, she also has another question. Can I do FBA with just three books, three or four? I see everyone with 40 or 50 at a time. So I'm going to suppose you're talking about 
sending in a shipment here, right? So Johnny B's already over there, like, eh, well, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take Very both sides. Thousand dollar books you're sending in. I'm gonna take both sides here, right? So this is this is a loaded question because do you have the buy box, right? Uh, can you merge and fulfill them for a profit until maybe you can get a box and then send them all FBA? But there is a program Amazon allows you to have free shipping credits because if you're gonna send in four books, you're probably gonna pay like six bucks in shipping to get them there. So right there's another dollar fifty off each one of them when it comes to profit. And then if they split the shipment, that's even worse. Uh, but there is a program, the FBA New Selection Program. It's free to every Amazon seller, and they'll give you $100 in shipping credit. So uh, if you're not enrolled in that, definitely hop on to that. So if you do have a smaller shipment, you'll get it for free because they'll give you 100 bucks free UPS shipping credits. But I kind of, I don't want to encourage people to send super small shipments like that because it's if, especially if you don't have the buy box, you're going to, you know, spend time going through the whole process. It's going to get there. It's probably not going to sell right away. Um, if you don't have a lot of FBA, I would probably just scan for Merchant Fulfilled and FBA at the same time. Right. That's kind of why I like Scoutly, because you can see the Merchant Fulfilled and the FBA profit, because what happens here, if you just keep sending in three or four here, three or four there, if you're not getting the free credits, you're actually spending more money. So. Once you start getting boxes ready to go, that's why we all try to get as close as we can to the 50 pound mark, because that's where you get your biggest bang for your buck when it comes to actually shipping those items in. Uh, give me your input here. I wouldn't do singles like that unless they're like north of 500 bucks, even hundred dollar books. I would shove in with the 30, 40, 50 box ones, to be honest, like it had to be a real special book by special i mean really valuable for me to send in by itself or with just a couple other that were very similar because so, like we said six bucks to send it in i mean i analyze the numbers I, i'm more math intensive with it like how many units could i cram in the box to my shipping cost is what three cents now instead of a nickel i just saved myself per unit two cents two cents times five, 50 so there you go that's what I would worry more about, unless the one-off scenario, oh, this is a $1,000 book. I'm going to pack it all special, like in its own little box, and it's worth me paying $10 to ship this one book in. Outside of that, no way. So the last box I packed up yesterday to send in, uh, I couldn't fit everything. I had to leave out one book. So this one book's going to sit here till next Saturday. I was so ticked off, like... Come on, is there any way I can finally like and it was like a thicker hardback? There was there's nothing I could do, but it's it just see, irritated. See, here's me. what I would have done. I would I would have gotten some duct tape, got a little box, put it on the side of the box like a tumor, <laughs> taped it. <laughs> it was uh but yeah, I mean if it's your first shipment as well, maybe I can see it because then you can kind of understand how the workflow works with Amazon when you're listing it. But I mean, don't get carried away with sending in super small shipments because in the long run, it's just going to cost you a lot more money. And uh, unfortunately, it adds up over time. So, all right, moving on. We got Paul here over on Facebook. Are there any business or personal habits that you are trying to change to help your growth personally or financially? I'll let you go first. Wow. Right under the bus with that one. Okay. Uh, so... It was personal. It was financial, and what was the other part? Personally and financially. Personally and financially to help my business grow. It's a very long question. Change, yeah, yep. To, to help okay. your growth, yep. 
Yeah, um, sure. Um, we recently decided we're going to open up a percentage of the shop on an everyday basis to brick and mortar. Surprise, surprise. Oh, and here's my announcement. I'm coming back to Amazon. Hi, suckers. I'm coming for all of you. And uh, we're looking in. We just acquired uh, from a gentleman 40,000 books, but he's going to store them. I'm only going to take them when I need them. So it's one of my sources I've been dealing with a while. I while I just decided to pull the trigger on I don't know sourcing smarter from him instead of harder because what I was doing was harder because I was cherry picking I was like well, look let's just make a deal and a lot of the books in the brick and mortar store they're going to be his honestly they're not going to and or some leftovers from me but doing a kind of a commission deal but the stuff I don't want to go in that brick and mortar it's going to go to Amazon that's going to go to eBay essentially and the rest goes in the thing and I just pick up more when I need them and it's a cool thing I'm doing uh, very labor intensive and again you gotta assign how much dollars to time you're worth that's the real crux of this whole business where are you putting your time and how much money are you getting for that time investment to me this is a good play in that factor because there's an unknown amount of money now that doesn't mean i'm not afraid to pull the trigger or pull the plug you're dead flatline on said brick and mortar if it's just not working out um, because there's a lot of processing. There's some customer service, I'm trying to limit that as much as possible. And I'm not taking my employees time out. She's going to be working online. Um, she is never to take a break to go handle customer service ever. Um, so that is both that's financial for business. So now if we go to personal changes, um, good question. I spend very little stuff on me. Uh, I guess I'm going like on a little diet here, so drop a few pounds. So there's that. If I drop a few pounds, it's better for me personally, but it's also good for my business. Maybe I'll move a little faster. Who knows? Better for me too. You'll be around longer. Oh, okay. Maybe <laughs> you. Mean, I'm gonna order a pizza right now. None of that. No, I'm maybe, maybe you'll grow a little taller here. Yeah, I don't think it helps with the height. I'm not sure that's how it works, Mike. That's <laughs> how losing weight works. That's what I do every morning. I come out and stretch my legs. Deb's so much taller than me. I gotta, I gotta get tall. I feel like I'm shrinking. Like every time I stand next to her, I'm like, "Are you growing or am I shrinking?" Like something's going on here. It doesn't make sense. Um, no, that's true. Men, men typically shrink as they age. That's a thing. That's a real thing. For me, they kind of intertwine. Uh, time management. Like Deb has turned me into like some kind of scheduling monster. And if you would have asked me this, like you know, like I used to just. Whoa! ride my horse out to the wild west and shoot from the hip uh mm -hmm. deb's got me a calendar set up um it just it affects your business and your personal life so much if you just don't have a plan every day and i know that's crazy like to say to have a plan every day i'm not saying all right well 12 30 to 1 i gotta eat my pb and j sandwich and then at one o'clock's a hard stop and i gotta do the like I, i'm not talking about that i'm just talking about like overall kind of like days right so like a dedicated thrifting day. And if you're part-time, it's a little bit harder to do this because you don't have the time and you don't know when you're going to have the time to put into the business. But full-time, you need to be on some kind of schedule. And it, it has changed my business and my my personal life. So, and just, it's just everything is better when you have a plan and a schedule to attack every day because you're not like, oh, am I going to go thrifting today? Oh, am I going to go tomorrow? Am I just going to go to one store today, one store tomorrow? Like, when you have dedicated time slots for things, it, it just levels up your business. So don't think like this. You got to be a crazy scheduler, right? You need time block everything off. If you just have, all right, well, Wednesday's my thrifting day. 
Saturday is my listing day. Like start small and then you'll start to see the changes. Like because you're more focused too, right? If you have like your day scheduled, like I'm going to thrift today. You're focused on thrifting only, right? You're not worried about doing this, doing that, doing this, doing that. Like, and for me with YouTube, the discord, the coaching calls, like it, I, I should have done it a long time ago. And it got to the point that I was like, all right, we need to sit down and get you on some kind of pertinent schedule. And for me, it's good now because I feel like I'm kind of maxed out. So like if something else comes up, I can, I just, I can't fit it in. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Sure. There are like, you know, I can make arrangements for certain things if I'm really interested in doing it or if it's like a huge opportunity, but just being able to be like, well, listen, unfortunately, JB, I can't fit you in anywhere else. Like I don't have, I can't, like, it's just impossible for me to fit, keep adding things on. And what happens is you just keep adding stuff onto your plate and then you ain't got, you ain't got time for nothing. It's just like your day's gone. Your week's gone. You don't even know where you've been. That's totally true. Like with me, I, I, I'm pretty much planned down to the minute. So if a random conversation happens, honestly, all I'm thinking is, all right, how many more less minutes of sleep am I going to get tonight? Because I stick to my schedule. And if something out of my control happens, well, that just means I stay up later, which is going to affect the next day. But if I put it off to the next day, I believe for myself, at least, that's worse than staying up a little later to get it done. Will I drag a little more the next day? Absolutely, I will. Because I sleep very little. Eh, it's a sad time for me. Um, but <laughs> I fully believe in scheduling. Good job, Deb, for finally wrangling the man in. I do think, though, like, if something unexpected happens and you have a schedule, it's easier to kind of move things around and figure out where you can play catch up and where, like how you're going to approach, you know, tackling the task or the day you miss. Because like for me this past week, uh, I've been feeling a little bit under the weather. So like I took a day off and it was like, uh, it was one of my thrifting days. So I'm like, all right, well, you know what, next week I can add an extra day. I can stay out a little bit longer, make my route a little bit longer and to make up for it. But like, if I didn't have that schedule, then it's kind of just like, well, I'm just taking today off and whatever happens, happens like down the road, like, you know, who cares? Right. And that's not to say, oh, I had this two hour task coming up. Maybe I should just reallocate that to a different day. If that unexpected interruption, like a flat tire, that may take a couple hours to change or get done. Um, depending on how bad the damage is. And it's just, you got to make those calls. But once you're used to a schedule, you know how to make those calls a lot better. So it's either staying up a little late, moving that, hefty task to a different day where you had a lighter day plan schedule because I, I i do more than plan for the day i usually plan for i'm gonna scare people when i say months out but let's just say a couple weeks out for simplicity's sake for people who may have never done a schedule or thinking about getting one you don't have to plan it as large as i do i'm kind of a freak when it comes to that so just start small you'll grow into it you'll make adjustments and your schedule will be more fine-tuned over time. It takes 30 days to make or break your habit, as the saying goes. So if you mess up, you mess up. But that's okay. You'll do better next time. And you'll do even better the next time. So there you go. We just went off on a tangent. We could have did the whole episode. That was a great question. Yeah, it would be a whole episode. It really could. Hey, what are you doing August 19th at 5.45 a.m. Eastern Time? So that's 4.34 my time. That means I'm doing my newsletters for eBay and moving on to sending invoices to buyers who haven't paid. You're nuts, dude. You know what? What A, a comment will hit the earth before then and you won't be doing none of that. All right, we're moving on. So none of this matters. Our podcast was for not. Damn it. <laughs>
Yep. All right. Paul's got another one. <laughs> Why does Johnny look like he spends as much time on his hair as Mike? <laughs> and it's not in the schedule. Is it in your schedule? <laughs> Once it irritates me enough, I'm like in the mirror, like shaving because I sh I shave my own head, and then Deb like touches me up in the back, like the spots I miss. So like I just get so fed up, and I'm like. All right, this I gotta shave this mop off my head today. I don't care if it's a thousand degrees in the bathroom, like it's getting shaved. Like that's my approach to it. I mean, with you, I guess it's just the opposite. You just do you, does it get to a point where you're like, all right, I gotta shave this, right? Because I feel like your hair hasn't grown as much as it should have. Do you uh, trim it down or time, what? Yeah, I generally go get a haircut once every month. The last time I waited two months, that's why I looked a little extra shaggy the last couple months. Um <laughs> So yeah, I I go different links on the beard. They're like, "How do you want me to cut your beard?" I'm like, "I don't know, player's choice." Um, just get all the wild hairs out and whatnot. After that, I don't really care. I get out of the shower, I dry it off, and I'm out the door. Um, if I was going to some place maybe more upscale, which I don't really do these days, maybe I take a little more care in my maintenance. If I was dating a charming young lady and she made a request, I really want you to comb your hair more often. I take it under advisement. I'm not saying I'd listen to her, but I take it under advisement at least. Do you use any beard products? This All is, natural, natural Texan man down here. He goes out, rubs a little dirt, little tumbleweed in there, and he's like, I'm ready to start my day. Yeah, when I have it longer, the hair does get in the way sometimes. Like if I usually, because it's Texas, I usually have my windows down when I'm in the truck, and sometimes I'll smack my eyeball and it hurts like a son of a gun. But I try to keep it a little shorter than that, as long as I again the the hair the haircuts in the schedule. As long as I get my once a month haircut, I had to blow it off um, the one time, and that's why it took me two months because I didn't have the time allocated to go do that. Because my barber. There's usually like 20 people in there because we only got the one in town. So it's like a two-hour, three-hour ordeal. Because if you leave, they don't hold your place in line. Yeah. All right. Final question here from listeners we have. And this one is not up either of our pipelines here. So this I'll be curious about your answer and mine. But it's kind of generalized idea of business. So we have – let me move my screen here. Mark from Facebook. When flipping from eBay to Amazon, how do you stay consistent with growth? i.e. sourcing more and more products while waiting for your previous orders to get shipped slash fulfilled. You want to go first or you want me to? I can go first on this. So you're reliant on not all things are equal in this scenario because if you're buying from eBay to Amazon, every, every seller is going to ship at a different pace. You can get a kind of ballpark idea based off two to three day shipping, two to three day shipping. You can kind of make it standardized and not deal with longer shipping people. However, to get some consistency of volume, I the key word there is volume. I would just do multiple orders because if you're relying on like one bulk shipment to get in or a couple, like if you bought a thousand piece lot and another thousand piece lot and another thousand piece lot, there's no guarantee those three are going to arrive within three to ten business days, honestly. Because you, I found with larger packages, if it's going through USPS at least, it's going to be slow. Smaller packages, not so much because they can deal with those a lot faster. I think they shove them to the back of the line for that. Uh, that being said, you can keep a Rolodex of people who generally ship on time. If you're buying lots at a frequent rate on eBay, you'll get an idea of people you're buying from frequently, and maybe they go on the good list. Always buy from this person because I've never had a problem with it. Outside of that, you could 
message the seller and like, I need it shipped by here. What can we do to make it happen? You lay down the law and you can also incentivize them. I'll buy from you again if you can get it done by X date. I will continue to buy it from again if you continue to send it to with me within blah. Then after that, it's not even in the seller's control. You're within the United States Postal Service. Maybe get lucky with UPS or FedEx. That's another thing. You can check for upgrades uh, when you check out. A lot of people just go with the cheapest option. But if you're a time-sensitive person and they have an option to get it to you faster, well, maybe you pay up for the shipping. Those are my devices. You, Mr. Mike. I think a challenge here, right, because uh, even Amazon, you know, it- what category are you selling, right? You selling, are you doing textbooks? You're doing books, you're doing DVDs, you're doing CDs. Because think about it this way, like how long is it going to take you to fill up a, a Lowe's box with eBay to Amazon flips? If it's DVDs, we're talking, you know, 80, 80 plus DVDs, like that's 80 flips. You got to find on eBay, have those items sent to you, inspect them, make sure they're good to go, relist them. So I can see like, I never thought about it like this. This is a good question. Like when you start out, it's going to take time for you to get a process down where you are consistently sending inventory to Amazon. And I think that's like a crux because to find 80 items, if I find 10 this week, but I don't find the other 70 for another month, like those first 10 items that I source, there's a high probability that they have gone down in price on Amazon. Um, So it is tough to kind of think about like, you almost have to do lots of volume to get shipments out, or you just have to commit to sending in smaller shipments. You know, maybe instead of the Lowe's boxes, maybe you're doing like a small one that's like, you know, 10 by, you know, whatever a DVD size box would be, right? Like a perfectly sized DVD box if you're doing just DVDs. So maybe you're only sending in 20 or 30 at a time because you don't want that stuff sitting around. But I do think it can become like a choke point real quick when it comes to capital. And uh, you just got to be weary of that because, if you're spending all this money and it's, and it's just sitting there, right. Because you're not sending it in because you're waiting to get a full box. I don't think that's the right approach. I think you have to just factor in the extra shipping costs to Amazon and get it out the door as soon as you can. I'm not talking one, two, three items, you know, per shipment, but maybe if you got 10 items, maybe you just cut it loose because you need that capital to pump back into the business. And another thing you really can't control is how long Amazon takes to check it in. Right. You know, it could take a week, it could take two weeks, even if it's the same warehouse, it varies from week to week, day to day. Sometimes they're fast. Shipments. Yes. Uh, Doing that is you really have to know your numbers, especially there because usually you're dealing with smaller margins because you're paying up for convenience. And you and there's there's all the factors there's the seller shipment there's the whatever postal thing you're going through and then the secondary postal thing to go through and then you've got amazon processing time itself now number five we didn't talk about is you you've got the stuff how long are you waiting to send it in i mean mike touched on a little bit but i'm going to touch it on from the point of consistency you got the stuff and your normal day is Saturday. I don't think you should wait to Saturday. I think you should box that stuff up as soon as you're able to. Don't be lazy with it. If you're playing that game, get it in as soon as possible, in my opinion. I got a, I got an idea uh, that's going to blow this whole thing up. Why don't you just source for items that you can sell for a profit FBM? Yeah. Item shows up. You inspect it. List it. It's listed within five minutes of you getting it in your house. And it'll, you know, if you're selling, you know, fast moving items, it'll probably sell pretty quick within the week and you get your money back quicker with FBM as well. So um, that would kind of be my challenge would be 
all right, maybe you source, you know, high profit items FBA and you have a box going. So, you know, if the price goes down a little bit, you still have the margin to give it up. But like uh, the faster moving stuff, FBM it. People still, people buy merch. People are so, like, oh, people don't buy stuff off Amazon merch fulfilled. There's literally, you know, seven, eight, nine figure businesses that literally only do merch fulfilled. Like that's such a, like, I don't know, it's such a myth. I'm currently in the process of listing 10,000 items to FBM and it'll only be more. And uh, it's, it's super easy to do. Yeah, it takes that. Even I did, I, I am creating some brand new spanking new listings for Amazon as well for some of my older stuff. I got to tell you, it's not long in comparison to eBay. It's like button, 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 done. It takes me like less than a minute. It's, but I do have some book knowledge that helps with that. If I didn't have the book knowledge, making a brand new listing would be a pain in the ass, but I would get used to it eventually. Uh, anybody would, not just Johnny's out there in the world. Now, I agree with Mike. That, that's a great idea, Mike. Um, I think to play the eBay to Amazon flip, you got to have a giant bankroll so you have the stuff consistently coming in. Build up with FBM to start. Uh, you can still do eBay to Amazon, honestly, that way. Um and then when you get to such a point where, oh, oh, I got some real money coming in consistently from FBM, maybe now is the time I jump into FBA with the same business model. Um, and then you have stuff for FBM and FBA. So now you're selling twice. You can get the stuff up right away that doesn't meet your FBA metrics. And the stuff that does, you can ship out the door. But it has to be like a wheel, right? It always has to be spinning because if the wheel stops because you're waiting for Joe Schmo, postal worker, it's it's just not going to work in my opinion yeah it is it is capital intensive like any any which way you kind of shape it or form it like there's going to be especially starting out it's going to take you i know like yet again you know hey joji wake up he's already up he's like you he's up at the crack of dawn because he's a teacher hey joji uh and he'll straight up joji be like hey you gotta you gotta understand it's gonna take a time until you get to a point where like you were just saying the capital is you know exceeding with what you're spending so i don't think as you know, it's not as relatable to having a media business where you can do free pickups, low capital to start out. Uh, eBay to Amazon is going to take a little bit more. And the, and the huge trap is you you start out and you're using credit cards, right? Because the credit card game is you pay it off every month. Well, you're not going to be able to get that return that fast just starting out on eBay to Amazon or maybe even at any point, depending on your business model. So just be cautionary of that and just understand that with any business, it takes time and there's no problem with FBM and items and then build a bankroll and then you can just go all FBA. And when that day comes, you already have in your mind, hey, this is going to take 60 days for me to actually see a return on what I'm sourcing to the point of it selling in Amazon and me getting paid the profits back. Now, Joji's a great example because he worked on his processes. A lot of his stuff is automated. Yep. He I believe he said he only spent two hours a day on it. I love to just work two hours a day, but he also has a full-time job in addition to doing his two hours a day or 14 hours a week. Um, if you if you sit down, it's going to take you more than two hours and figure out how to make your process as streamlined as possible, even on the eBay to Amazon or Amazon-only front, you're going to save yourself huge chunks of time. And maybe you spend a little less time doing the business and a little more time having some freedom in your life yeah well that's going to do it for the questions we appreciate everybody contributing their questions over on youtube and facebook and like i said we'll probably do this again in two months so we will talk to everybody in next week's episode
Thanks for listening to another episode of the Reseller's Mindset Podcast. Today's full episode and all previous episodes are available to all YouTube members along with the weekly Zoom call and private Discord. Head on over to youtube.com backslash the used book guy and consider joining for as little as $2.99 a month.